0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is The Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Scott Warris.
1: We wish Wagner well. The coronavirus has hit close to home. No, it's stop. Joke. Kidding. 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 It's a joke. Jeff is little bit under the weather but he's got a little bit of a vacation coming up so he thought you know what get healthy get healthy so that when you're on the, the worst thing you can be is sick on a vacation right how many of us have caught that little that little cold that sniffle that sore throat the day before or a, you know a couple days before you're about to go on vacation and it just ruins everything traveling when you're sick is one of the worst things that a human being can go through sitting at an airport When you're blowing your nose, coughing, even before coronavirus was running rampant across the globe. It's just, it's brutal. Sitting on a plane when you're sick is just absolutely one of the worst things that a human being can experience. You can't go anywhere. You feel like you're just sitting in your own puddle of germs while others around you are giving you evil, dirty looks. So, we wish Jeff well. He'll be back on Monday. You stuck with me. Through Friday. Short show today, Brewers baseball coming up after 2 o'clock. Let me go on record. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, let me go on record right here and now as, as saying that give me bread and circus at debates. Give it to me. I'm tuning in for the entertainment factor. I am. Not only that, if you, I think, as an American, are tuning in to a debate to get some sort of information on a candidate or learn their stance or their... You're making a mistake. Because we have crossed the Rubicon, as it were. We have crossed a threshold whereby the entertainment factor of a presidential debate, of a primary debate, as we had last night, the entertainment factor is now more more prevalent, I think in some ways it's more important. Can I say that? More important? Because you need eyes. You need eyeballs. And what these candidates are doing, I think at this point, is see if I can capture a couple eyeballs. Maybe they'll go to my website. Maybe they'll want to learn more about me. But I really believe the days of turning on a debate and just getting you know five or six candidates or however many are on the stage to simply drone on and on about their stance on this and that, and then the bell rings and they politely yield to their counterpart on the other side. Those days are over. And you can say it's something that we can lay at the feet of Donald Trump. All right, fine. But at any rate, let the record show I fully embrace it. I fully, absolutely embrace some of the... uh <laughs> Some of the... Um, well, the entertainment of it all that we had. For example, last night, this was the most for. This puts everything, if I could encapsulate everything from last night's debate, everything. This, ladies and gentlemen, is. It made me laugh. It may have made you cry or pull your hair out or turn the channel. But for me, I laughed my way through these 45 seconds out of last night's what two-hour plus two-hour debate
2: do we think health care for all pete is some kind of radical communist idea. Do this we right, think raising the no, minimum it's, wage, it's, to to wage to a living wage? Do we think building really the millions of this units really of affordable housing no, if, if that we need? That do we think raising taxes on billionaires is a radical let's, idea? Do we think what's criminal justice reform uh, is a
3: radical idea? The things you just named are radical. Do we think immigration reform? The things you just named are The things you are The things you
2: that is why I am now. beating Trump in virtually every poll they, that has fun and for why example. I will defeat him. we, right. we got to open this up. All Universal right. health care for Donald Donald right. you. Donald Trump Bernie. Bernie. S-
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. That was the most, and I realize you're probably shaking your head going, what in the world was that? And I have no idea what that was. That was Bernie doing his thing and Judge trying to ch- storm in and steal the... F- I have no idea what that was, but I loved it. I have completely come around to the age of debates as entertainment. Are you with me on this one? Or or do you think that look, Scott, you're an idiot. You moron. You're only helping to dumb down society. You're only feeding into the um the the ignorance or, or the ignorant nature. Of the electorate by applauding this or or by embracing just the absolute chaotic nature of what these debates have become by embracing it, sitting back and enjoying it, watching it with an alcoholic beverage and a bowl of chips and enjoying it. You are you are only hurting what America is all about. I mean, maybe that's the case. But I watched that thing last night, and I just say, bring it on. This is where we are now. It's not going back to how it was. 855-616-1620. It is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 855-616-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want to know, because I feel as if the entertainment value of debates, I'm all in on it. Are you... Or, or, or are you to the point where you won't watch it anymore because it's just gone so over the top? I eat this stuff up. I'm a political geek. I admit that. And as such, something like last night has such an entertainment value that I can't look away. Call it like a like like a car crash or, or what you want, you know, Gaper's del- I want to look. I want to watch. I know it's not going back. And in this day and age... Are we really tuning into the debates to learn more about the candidates or are we just using that to gauge more about how they are, who they are, what they do in tense moments, do they look more presidential than somebody else? Again, feel free to rip me. Feel free to take me to task. Feel free to chastise me as somebody who's not helping to raise the level of discourse in this or you know, the 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 the, the level of discussion in this country. That's fine. But I really think This is the new normal, and as such, I embrace it. Do you. 855-616-1620, Acunet Mortgage, talking text line.
0: Back to Take Your Calls. Here's
1: WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I love this text from the 262. As a devoted Republican, but after hearing the audio you played today, I'm upset with myself for not watching the hilarious spectacle. Well, you can tell that the tensions are ramping up. It's getting tighter now. It's getting tighter on stage there. Give us a call, 855-616-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Put me down. I welcome bread and circus. I welcome the spectacle of it all. Do you. 855-616-1620. Let's go to the phones. Let's talk to Tom in Watertown. Hey, Tom, you're on WTMJ.
4: Hiya, Scott. Hey, I think it's comical myself, and I think it's hysterical. But the best part about that debate last night was when uh, Elizabeth Warren told Bloomberg about killing some baby where he, he had a pregnant lady in the office and right. she was wanted to go on a maternity leave or something and then she said yeah you're
0: a baby killer I was like what was that well, all about?
4: And,
1: and that that was that was in response to an accusation that a woman made of Bloomberg saying he told her to just kill it in regards <laughs> to her baby which he has denounced vociferously and tried to explain it no Tom I mean I think it, it encapsulated a lot of 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 where we are but you know what at this point i'm just you know bring it on i i I tune in i i look forward to these things i tune in because i want to see i want to see him go at it i'm sorry and i probably shouldn't apologize but i want to see him go at it go at it let's do this thing I, i
4: feel sorry for joe biden I mean, he tries to get his point off, but it's always interrupted, and then there's two people fighting in the room. It's like, what? I don't even know what he's
1: saying. Joe Joe, stumbling, stumbling, bumbling over himself. Can I also admit something else, Tom? And maybe I'm a bad American for this. I root for them to screw up. <laughs> I just, I just oh, do. Me too. And, and you know what? It could be Democrats, it could be Republicans. I'm just completely in on the spectacle of political debates. I agree, Scott. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Tommy. Yeah, it, um, it's one of those things where, look, are are we as Americans really to expect to learn something from these candidates in these debates? If, if if you're going into these things expecting to learn something, I think you're wrong. You're just not. One of the reasons is that there are, you know, if you got a two-hour debate, what were we, we had seven? What we have, seven or six yesterday? Seven people on stage? Obviously, when there were ten on stage... So if you actually divvy up the time, you're looking at, and you get 45 seconds, how much are you, even if everybody played by the rules, didn't talk over one another, talked to the time limit, stopped when they were supposed to stop, moderators did their thing, how much are we really going to learn substantively from these uh, uh, candidates in the time allotted? Whereby, I think in some ways we learn more, how about this? How about this, you guys? I think we learn more about their character. When the debates get a little rambunctious, we learn more about how how strong do they feel about their their their, their convictions, that they're going to you know go after one of the rivals. Are, are they going to barge in? Are they going to bust in? Are they, are they going to say to the moderator, "No, I'm not going to let me finish." Does that not show you more about some innate quality and character than a 45 second answer on? Foreign diplomacy or health policy? Mike in West Bend. Hey, Mike. Good afternoon, sir.
0: Hey there. Good afternoon. I, I'm going to take that point that you were just making and flip it around a little bit. I, I believe that if you say less, you are actually saying more. I think that if you can keep it concise and dictate to the crowd and the moderator that you don't need to blabber your mouth and be louder and more drama filled than the rest of the clowns on the stage who are actually more Hollywood than Donald Trump. And if you want more Donald Trump or more of that, that's what you can get. But with me as a candidate who's precise and concise and to the point and confident, this is what you're going to get. And I think that does speak to character.
1: That, okay. There you go. You, you you can also learn a lot about the character by them, like you say, Mike, not going overboard, not going over the top, something, not
0: not something not like being belligerent might,
1: and a bully. You
0: might get me uh, supporting a, a, a one of those candidates at this point. They're all in the same boat well, to me, and I I just don't buy it. So, so let
1: me ask you this, Mike: Have you watched these debates? For the most part, I
0: can watch about I can watch about five minutes of them, and okay. I seriously have to turn it off.
1: Okay, that's fair. Um, is there anybody when you have been watching? Is there anybody that you think has done what you're describing? Has been a little bit more reserved, a little bit more concise in their answers, not taking yeah. up? Is there anybody like that? Have you picked up on that?
0: And that and those are the two candidates that I thought I liked the most. And Who that's is that? Andrew Yang and Pete Lobocar.
1: Hmm. hmm. Yeah. You can tell, I think, in Klobuchar that being a little bit more in your face is not who she is because when she tries to be more in your face, she doesn't look comfortable doing it,
0: right? No. She feels like she has to do it to compete, and that's not her nature. And that uh, Andrew Yang is very calm and collective for the most part, um, but, you know, he's just not typically a viable contest at this point, so... Yeah, thanks for taking the call. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate
1: it, bud. That's a good point. I I think we as Americans need to alter how we view debates. Don't go into debates looking for substance, trying to learn more about a candidate. You may get a little, but nothing real substantive. I think if you're going to go into it and want to get something other than two hours of pure entertainment, which is kind of where I fall, if you do want to get something, maybe take something away from their character, like Mike has said. How do they answer questions? How do they treat the colleagues up on the stage? How do they act? How do they react? And you can learn a little bit, I think, about how they are and who they are as people, more so than candidates, as people in those moments. You're listening to Jack Wagner on WTMJ. Eric and Hubertus on the text line is with me i watch the debates for the entertainment i make mental notes about which parts they're going to use on saturday night live uh let's see 262 texter i could not wait to watch the debates last night neither could i two hours of pure entertainment better than all the tv reality shows out there the democrats watched the 2016 gop debates and said here hold my beer that's well said uh, a couple of you saying that it'd uh, be even more entertaining if they had conservatives asking the questions, like Rush Limbaugh. That would be great. That's a debate, too. How awesome would that be if you had Rush Limbaugh moderating a debate among the Democrats? And then, um, who? Uh, uh, Lawrence O'Donnell, um, Rachel Maddow moderating a debate among Republicans. Uh, let's sneak in one more call before the news. Gary in Sussex, you got about uh, 45 seconds. Take it away, Gary.
2: Okay. I your last caller said he could only watch five minutes of it. To me I get so intrigued I can't <laughs> stop watching it. I don't even want to go to the bathroom unless they have a, a commercial break. It's the truth. And then I tape it I tape it so then I get to watch it again and dissect it. And then what I do is I call up on the lefty radio station fifteen, ten A. M. on the dial and I discuss that with them as a conservative.
1: So okay. it's, uh, so,
0: okay, it's really so, a lot
4: of fun. So, so you're doing
1: it oh, for yeah. a little research purposes as well, just to help the, the, the or to fuel the conversation a little bit, but you're actually taping it. I like that, Gary. It, it, it's like you're the coach. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Gary. It, it's like you're the coach breaking down the game tape after. Can I admit something as well? And it's, you know, full disclosure hour here. I got so enthralled in that debate last night that I forgot and I was going back and forth between that and the Bucs game. I mean, the Bucs were in Toronto. Rematch of the of the Eastern Conference Finals. Bucks were playing well. National TV. I forgot to go back and see the end of the Bucks game. And then they won. But, yeah, I'm in it as well. By the way, um, there are moments, and last night, it, it, the the, the, uh, the texter, was it uh, Eric from Hubertus, said he'll watch just to see where Saturday Night Live might pluck content from. I think I found... An SNL moment from last night, courtesy of Mike Bloomberg. I think what's right
4: for New York City isn't necessarily right for all the other cities. Otherwise, you'd have a naked cowboy in every city. <laughs> I think what's right for so- New York City isn't necessarily right for all the other cities. Otherwise, you'd have a naked cowboy in every city.
1: Now, I don't know. I'm no historian. I'm no uh, a political scientist. I am willing to bet that the term "naked cowboy." has never been uttered in that sequence. Has never been uttered in a in a presidential debate, even a even a presidential primary debate. But courtesy of Mike Bloomberg, no. Now I can see SNL taking that and maybe they'll have like a naked cowboy like just ride in front of the debate stage on Saturday or something like that. No, it's I'm I'm even in it. And you know it's funny, some of you texting as well. Hard to, some of you More than one of you have referenced something (laughs) WWE-related. So there are some of you who say you want a WWE-styled entrance. Some of you are saying it turns into a WWE kind of a promo shoot and things like that. But this is the new norm. You may be frustrated by it, but if so, you need to let it go. This is the new norm, and maybe you can still watch, be plenty entertained, and learn more about the character or the demeanor when it starts to get loud you learn about the demeanor of the candidates more so than their health care policy or their policy on Israeli-U.S. relations or uh, substantive, quote-unquote, issues. Sub, you, you'll, you'll learn about the substance of these candidates as we get closer to the Wisconsin primary, obviously. But uh, if you want to look for that in the debates, not happening. Give me the bread and the circus, preferably both. Okay. It is 12.30. Speaking of, you know who likes bread and circus, Pomp pageantry? Eric, did you watch a good deal of that last night? <laughs> I watched chunks of it. I did not watch the whole mm, thing. What would you think of the Naked Cowboy line? <laughs> it made me it's laugh. It's good.
5: I noticed it, it almost, though, you mentioned Saturday Night Live. One of the comments uh, we made earlier today was that it's almost taking away from the cold opens of SNL
1: because it's almost satire just in itself in some of the things that are now said at these debates. So mm. it almost... You, you, you can't make fun of something that's no. already funny. No, you're right. It's um, that's good fodder. Enjoy it. Have some fun. Politics can be
0: fun. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ.
1: If you were given the choice today at twelve thirty-eight on Wednesday, February twenty-sixth, if you were given the choice today. To become a millionaire, would you do that? Would you say, yes, I will I will gladly accept. I think you would. I know I would. And I think pretty much any and every American, unless you're a billionaire, <laughs> which you're taking a cut, if you were offered, as of this moment moving forward, we're going to fill your bank account and you are going to become a millionaire. I think most people would take it. I think... And I'm pretty safe in saying that Americans would welcome the opportunity to earn enough money over their lifetime to ultimately earn the title of millionaire. So here's the thing that's been bothering me for a while. And certainly it started, you know, on the left and and with the Democrats. and, And certainly it comes up in the debates now that Bernie Sanders is the leader right now in the primary it is the it is the thought, it is the belief that wealth is bad, that wealth is not a good thing, that being a millionaire, or even if you're a billionaire, is a bad thing. And that bothers me, not because I am a millionaire, not because I ever will be a millionaire, because those are two resounding no's, but because... Being wealthy is, at its core, the American dream, is it not? Don't we all strive to certainly do good in our lives, grow in whatever field or career path we're in or we want to get in, and be satisfied there, and family goals and all that stuff. But, but among the goals of the quote-unquote American dream, if you were to say, what is the American dream? If it's not one, it's 1A to earn wealth, to to put ourselves in a place in our lives where money is not a worry. That is the goal of Americans, one of the goals. Maybe not the goal, but it's up there. Even if, even if you initially say, Scott, no, that, that's not true. I just want to earn enough to, to have a family, to, to 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 do my whatever, to do my thing. But at some point, there's a level of wealth, a level of wealth that you feel you'd like to achieve to take care and do everything you want to do in your life. But I feel as if, and I think this is becoming, and maybe this election will show it, a more more commonplace thinking, a more commonplace theme, a more commonplace mantra that wealth is bad. Do you feel that as well or am I alone on this one? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. And it bothers me at my core because that's what Americans have always been after. After enough wealth to make a good life for them, earn a million dollars, create a business, Build a business from one business, from one company, from one shop to a franchise, from a fanch- franchise to a corporation and build and build. That's what Americans have been doing since the nation was founded. That's the the goal they've been striving for since the nation was founded. And yet here we sit in 2020, and it didn't just start in this election cycle. It's not just starting with, uh, with, with, with Bernie now as a front runner and a primary and whatnot, but It's something that has been out there in the ether for a while now, and it goes to the heart of what America is all about. Why have people immigrated to this country since its inception to build a better life for themselves, to own their own business, to grow wealth, right? So in this day and age, why... Tell me you disagree. I welcome it. Why is wealth bad? I wonder if we're heading towards a point in time where there will be such a demonization of wealth that it overshadows any good done by those who have it. I don't know. But I feel like we're definitely headed down that path. Something has shifted. Something has changed. Whereby we went from the American dream... To the, well, you can have money, but suddenly if you are a millionaire and or billionaire, you've done something wrong. Or it, it, it casts a pall over what you do and who you are. Have you picked up on that as well? And like I say, it bothers me inside, and maybe I'm not doing a good job describing it, but it bothers me inside because... That's what everybody strives to be, even if we know we're never going to achieve it. And there are a lot of things to achieve in life. I get it. But wealth, admit it, wealth is one of them. Some degree of wealth. 855-616-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I realize that this is kind of a a little deeper here, but I want to explore this because it's something that's been on my mind for a while. Let's start with uh, Paul. He's south of the border in Illinois. Hi, Paul. Good afternoon, sir.
4: Good afternoon. Thank you for this topic. You know, in my generation, and I just turned 60, it seems like we've done a 180. When I was young, we had a president that asked, that stated, ask not what you country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, to uh, Hillary writing a book, it takes a village to raise, its children, raise a kid. You know, we talk about education. The purpose of education is to get a good job. The purpose of a good job is to make good money for your family and for your community. But as soon as you start making good money, you're the bad guy. If you take away all of philanthropy, uh, the donations given to the museums and everything else, we, w- we wouldn't even recognize our, our own communities or our own cities anymore. You know, uh, it's a land of opportunity, not entitlement. Mm-hmm. So where this is all going, like I say, in my generation, I think we've gone 180 backwards.
1: Can you, Paul, because I'm trying to think, and there usually isn't one moment where something like this flips, but can you put your finger on, on something where this mindset changed? And I I, I don't want to put it all on Bernie Sanders. I mean, it's not just no. his rise to prominence over the last five, six years that has it's helped, I mean, that, that, that narrative. But it's not just that, that that has kind of flipped the script on how, 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 how wealth is viewed. It's more than that. Something else happened. I think the more, and don't, please
4: don't take this wrong or anybody take this wrong, but the more we try to provide for our citizens, the more it got away from everybody. I mean, I put myself through college and professional school. I'm a health care provider. It hmm. took me 25 years to pay off my student debt. But at the same time, with the more social programs that we've developed, the more people became more reliant on government. The number one purpose of government, according to our founding fathers, was to protect its citizens, not necessarily provide for them. Again, land of opportunity. So where did this all go wrong? I, I, you know, I would say maybe in the 60s and 70s. I don't mm-hmm. know. But now it's at a point where we got, a, a, in a sense, a self-proclaimed democratic socialist running but does the USSR still exist? And what did one of the S's stand for? You know, like I say, in my generation, it's not making yeah. sense
1: anymore. Thanks for the call, Paul. And that—that that is a good way to start because you—you you can't just put your finger on one thing. But but something has changed, and I feel like I feel like the narrative has changed dramatically and drastically, whereby. The wealthier are demeaned. Now, for those who gain their wealth by nefarious ways, look, Bernie Madoff, (laughs) of course, there are bad people. There are bad rich people and they deserve every bit of the misfortune and, uh, you know, negative vibes that, that they get. They deserve all that. But I'm talking broadly here for the, for the small business owner in Milwaukee who owns a couple of shops a couple of stores, a couple of convenience stores. You can kind of make, I mean, you're close to being a millionaire there when you talk about all the assets you have. It doesn't, I don't want to say it doesn't take much to be a millionaire because I'm never going to be a millionaire and many of us aren't going to be millionaires. But you're just trying to work and do well, take advantage of the opportunity, the word that Paul used, to do good for yourself and your family. And if that means that you rack up wealth in the process, God bless you. Right, isn't that what this is all about? And yet, I wonder if we're going down a path where you're gonna you, you, people learn you're a millionaire, and suddenly there's a there's a shadow over you. Even if you earned your money and built your, your your company up and whatever, and you've gotten the money in the most honorable ways, you've used capitalism. Hello, first time I've used that word in the segment. You've used capitalism the way it should be. And yet, and yet, dare I say, you start getting looks because you're a millionaire. Let's dive deeper into this. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on
0: WTMJ. Is wealth bad?
1: Capitalism. Is wealth bad? We're going down that path where the richer you are, the more likely you are to kind of be, hmm, you're a millionaire, huh? Hmm, Probably cheated your way there or or did something that didn't warrant the money that you have in your bank account. Here's a great text from the 678, Laura. Laura texts in, hello, hello. My husband and I both came from blue-collar families. My dad was a factory worker for 47 years. My mom was a server in the restaurant industry. My husband's parents were teachers for 30 years. My husband and I both put ourselves through college and were financially responsible through our lives. We both worked hard in our careers to get where we are today and we can say that we are millionaires two times over. We worked very hard to be where we are today and we resent folks saying millionaires are not entitled to their wealth. Just because you're a millionaire doesn't mean you did something wrong. And I think that's at the crux of it. There's a se- there's a growing sentiment that because you have wealth it's wrong. And that bothers me and it eats away at me more so now cuz it's it's a it's a topic of conversation here with Bernie Sanders obviously being the frontrunner, but it started before Bernie. And I don't know if there was a moment. Let's go to Oshkosh. Let's talk to Jake. Hey Jake, good afternoon. You're on WTMJ. All right, how are you? I'm well. Your thoughts on the demonization of wealth?
2: Well, I would just ask uh, the question is uh, how much is enough? I mean, where do, you, where do you feel like you've had enough? Where you feel like you can take care of yourself and your family and your kids and your grandkids and you're pretty well settled and you don't need any more? Where do you draw the line?
1: Why does a line need to be drawn? Why, why, why should there be a it, limit?
2: At some point, you're just being greedy. Are you? And greed is greed is immoral. Hmm. <sighs> I mean, if you if you're a millionaire, if you play by the rules in this country and you mm-hmm. do what you're supposed to do and you work hard, mm-hmm. it's not out of the question to become a millionaire. Okay, a million dollars isn't what it used to be thirty or forty years ago. Mm-hmm. But to become a billionaire, at that point, you've accumulated a million dollars a thousand times over. Right. Okay, a thousand times. Is that necessary? I mean, who needs that kind of money?
1: So, you find, or so I'm just. At what dollar figure does wealth become greed for you? Like, I, I would not. I don't think there is a limit or a cap to it. But I'll, I'll ask you the question you asked me: Is it one billion dollars? Is that the the greed level, Jake? I
2: would say, I would say, when you get to a point where you have more than you'll ever be able to spend in your entire lifetime. $100 million? I don't know. Hmm. To me, that just is immoral. It's immoral. It shows you don't have a regard for your fellow citizens and the community that you live in because you've accumulated so much money that you, you, you wouldn't be able to spend it all in your entire life. Then why not give some of that money away to create well, a better society?
1: But Our that's exactly what I was... ever ever been. that's what I was going to say, Jake. I mean... Maybe then you're being blessed with such an abundance of wealth as has happened to people as long as human beings have been on the earth that you then realize, look, my family and my family's family and genera- generational wealth, my grandkids' grandkids are taken care of and I'm still making money in my business legally, ethically. Now I can turn and give as a philanthropist to others to help my fellow man and society as it were is is that right, but you
2: don't see the Andrew Carnegies of the world anymore that are giving away their wealth and creating a better society. You're seeing more and more rich people today that are hoarding their wealth and aren't doing anything to help others.
1: See, I, I don't you look
2: not... at somebody like Cornelius Vanderbilt or Andrew Carnegie from generations past who did things with their money to help society as a whole and we're just not seeing that anymore. What about Bill Gates? What about on bill... That bill. Hang on, Jake. Carnegie paid for all the libraries in this country.
1: What about Bill Gates? For example, I mean, he's a he's a billionaire. How many times over? And he has set up the 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 Gates Foundation, and they do philanthropic work. Of I'm sorry, philanthropic work um, all over the globe, for that matter. And and Michael Bloomberg, I just I heard it last night during one of the Talking Heads post game shows. Bloomberg has given away eight billion with a B, eight billion dollars in 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 charitable donations during his his illustrious career. I guess
2: I just don't see how that helps in everyday American. When our roads are falling apart, the infrastructure is poor, uh, our schools are worse than they've ever been, I just feel like they
1: could do more. Thank you for the call, Jake. I appreciate your perspective. 855-616-1620. There you heard an example. Jake makes, I mean, valid points supporting his argument. Can you reach a certain level of wealth in this country that is greedy and Jake's word, immoral. That is a sentiment that is building in society. Jim, Scott, Randy, hang on. We'll carry this through the news. This is an important conversation to have. This is an important discussion to have. Because, well, we'll get into it more after the news. But it's important to have it because we need to identify, I think, what is happening in society, in American society. And this is a narrative that is becoming more prevalent We'll continue. If you're on the line, please hold on.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is The Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Scott Warris.
1: Continuing the conversation, because we're onto to something here. We are. How much is too much? To comment before the news, Jake in Oshkosh Throughout a very intriguing comment but
2: to become a billionaire at that point you've accumulated a million dollars a thousand times over okay a thousand times is that necessary I mean who needs that kind of money I would say when you get to a point where you have more than you'll ever be able to spend in your entire lifetime to me that just is immoral it's immoral it shows you don't have a regard for your fellow citizens and the community that you live in because you've accumulated so much money that
1: you, you, you wouldn't be able to spend it all in your entire life. Wealth is immoral. Is he right? 855-616-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're just tuning in, there is a growing sentiment, and it's grown in the pit of my stomach, that, yes, to be wealthy, you want to put a dollar figure on it, a millionaire, multimillionaire, definitely a billionaire, you are immoral. There's something wrong with that. Is that not the ultimate culmination of the American dream? Scott and Racine, thanks for holding. You're up next. Hey, Scotty.
6: Uh, um, Thank you for taking my phone call, Scott. Um, What I want to say is, first of all, is that what what your previous caller said about wealth being immoral, I completely disagree with that point. My take is that, and I think that these are some of the most intriguing people to talk to, whatever, who are, are people who have started their own businesses, grown them, um, invested well and, in, and done it, what and done it by themselves. Um, where, where, where I have issues and why they where society, whatever has issues in general, there are two points. Number one is corporate socialism. And then number two is an un, unearned generational wealth. And when it comes to corporate socialism, the, I mean, the, the common example out there in this area, whatever is Foxconn and Amazon, Foxconn and, and Amazon. And, like you said, Foxconn is going to put a ten billion dollar project in Racine County. Get three billion dollars back in incentives if they meet um, certain. If they meet certain targets, but like you said, but they're but they pay whatever. No, but they're they're paying no corporate taxes. Same thing with Amazon. Whatever. Yet their yet their trucks and their equipment whatever is damaging the infrastructure. So why should they whatever not be a part of? Of keeping up and maintaining the infrastructure that their equipment, whatever is is running over, and then on the point of unearned generational wealth. Again, I mean, the again, we all know these people that they're out there, and those are the people, whatever, who are sons and daughters or related, whatever, to parents or grandparents, whatever, who did who earned it, who did very well for themselves, and then they and then due to the tax policies and such, were able to pass it down to their pass it down to their right. heirs, which basically gives their heirs whatever. Uh, a free pass pass on life or
1: whatever and not having to earn anything. But, okay, uh, uh, let me speak to the generational wealth comment that you make, or or the, the unearned, as your term, unearned generational wealth. Should we hold it against a person whose grandfather was extremely wealthy and passed down the wealth from generation to generation? Why hold it against the grandson? Or granddaughter, whatever. Why hold it against those ancestors of someone who earned
6: that wealth? Why hold it against be, them? Because because they didn't earn it themselves. It was earned by it was earned by mommy or daddy or, or or grandpa or grandma. They didn't do anything to earn it. They just happened to they just happened to be born into the right family.
1: Mm, you're hitting on something very interesting, Scott. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. There is something. That I believe is at the heart of this entire belief, this entire movement, do you want to call it that, this entire thought process. There is something at the core. And Scott kind of touches on some of that in speaking about a different angle. Generational wealth. Wealthy people who did not, quote unquote, earn it. Okay. Randy in Milwaukee. He was patient as well. Go ahead, Randy. You're up next.
5: Hey, thanks. So, first of all, I was a little bit frightened by that that first caller, and only because I think it kind of uh, makes a statement around, like, disbelief that people have about those that have, you know, earned, created, generated wealth, and where these, these people become these fictional, like, Uncle Scrooge characters, where it's easy to be like, yeah, they're evil. This is immoral. Like that was a little bit strong on that front. But like, again, these are the people that are like investing in the startups that are buying the new technology and the products that like are going to become common use every day. They're the ones who are employing people. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think your previous caller talked about also, you know, taking risks. These are the people who are taking risks mm-hmm. and taking vets. And like, do we really want to discourage that? And as we look at this election, I think about like, what is the message we're sending our kids? Like, you know, the one you start putting thresholds of, well, you can you can achieve this much, but after this much, it's terrible. Right. Like, that's dangerous territory.
1: You make an interesting point, Randy. You talk about the risks. How many of our millionaires Sorry. and billionaires in in society in in, the, in America? How many of them at some point along the way to their wealth took a risk and the risk? paid off literally and figuratively for them but if it didn't they would not be millionaires and billionaires they would be broke or 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 they would be you know taking home a a radio paycheck i'll I'll use my own example i mean they would not be where they are now why why bemoan the fact that they took a they, they they gambled Maybe everything they had. I'm a big fan of Shark Tank, the television show, yeah, and, yeah. and you hear this a lot from from the sharks and sometimes from the entrepreneurs. So many people who've reached such high levels of wealth have taken a risk, and they risked everything. And guess what? Sometimes the risks pay off. Good for you. Hey. You took a risk. You put everything on the line. Good for you that it paid off. Because guess what? I don't know that I could put everything on the line. Whatever you and I make, Randy, I I, I don't know that I could put it all on the line to become a millionaire tomorrow. If somebody came to me in five minutes and said, Scott, I want you to invest every penny you have in this cause, this product. Now, there's a risk that you will lose everything by the end of the... By the end of the workday, there's also a chance that you will become a multimillionaire by the end of the workday. I don't know that I could take that risk. So for those that have taken the risk to lose everything, why should we look at them or on them with, 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 with a suspicious eye?
5: That's a great point, and don't forget to add to your point. Not only if you take the risk and you become the millionaire, look what else you've done in terms of employment and, and hiring people and the other opportunities. I came out of Silicon Valley. I left there. I had a chance to retire early. I was fortunate the things worked out, and I have to say I've worked for the companies that did exactly what you said where they put it all on the line and they lost everything. Mm. They lost not only their wealth they put in, maybe family wealth. And so again, it's easy to like paint these pictures. You know, you hear Bernie Sanders talking about, you know, the evil Jeff Bezos. Well, you know, so is JK Rowling also evil? You know, she's a billionaire. She created these books, these Harry Potter that delight all of our kids and that but oh, so she also evil because she's created and through her hard work and talents like what you gotta be careful with not to mm-hmm. to to minimize, you know, the impact that people who have created this have have.
1: Thanks for the call. Well said, Randy. You know, it's, it's funny. Randy alluded to a, a Scrooge-like character. A texter makes a similar point. People seem, this is a 262 text, people seem to think that millionaires just hoard money like Scrooge McDuck in a vault. I was a big DuckTales fan as a, as a kid, the cartoon. Remember, he'd, he'd jump off the, the diving board into the vault and they would swim around the, the money and the coins. Side note, if you actually jumped into a vault of coins... You would, it would hurt. You wouldn't go into it like water. But anyway, um, yeah, you're exactly right. Assets that make people millionaires are invested in businesses, in employees, in purchases. It's not, I'm a millionaire, look at my vault full of money. It's, I'm a millionaire because I own property, because I, I have employees, assets, equipment, manufacturing, things like that. Dave and Frank will come to you after the break. Again, there is something. There is a there's a word, you know how much I love to say guess my mind. There is a word that I think encapsulates all of this. All of it, whether people who are critical of wealth want to admit it or not. There's something at play here across the board, down deep deep inside. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I'm going to tell you the word in a second. If you want to take a guess at it, some of you on the text line are on to it. It's not a tough question, I don't think. 855 616 1620. But first, uh, I'm going to get to Bayview. Uh, Frank, real quickly, Frank, what do you got, sir?
6: Scott, real quick, thank you very much for taking my call. This is our first conversation. If there's one word, I'm going to say that word is Americanism. Because nowhere else on the planet can anybody have such an opportunity you know like to become a vanderbilt or you know the the carnegie's you know rockefellers you could start from start from nothing and you know the sky's the limit it's a free market economy and it's a free society which you know we should all be grateful for and you know take a step back and you know maybe wind down the jealousy a little bit because i imagine most of these people had humble beginnings
1: well said frank i have nothing to add. That that was well stated. Dave in Oconomowoc. Hi, Dave.
6: Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, my thought that I haven't heard yet is that it's actually not wealth that is the problem, but it's the love of wealth, which I guess could be referred to as greed. So, you know, I just read, I think, last week that the owner and creator of the Bob's Red Mill um, product brand of all those, you know, artisanal flowers and things turned his company over to his employees. He had made enough money, and then he gave it away. So I think that, who cares how rich he is? He did the right thing. He's giving away wealth. And I think, you know, who can judge a man's heart? You don't judge it by their words, but by their actions. So, you know, be blessed to be a blessing to others. If someone has accumulated wealth and they're living the high life, but they also are helping you know, their next guy up on their own, not legislated by the government, I don't think the government should get their nose into it. Um, But that's the problem is when people love money more than they love their fellow man.
1: Thanks, Dave. Well said. Greed is good, right? Gordon Gecko. Greed is good. Many of you have hit the nail on the head on the text line. in In this entire conversation that we've had, and it's been—I really appreciate the call. And there's so many good texts, and I can't get to all of them, but I really appreciate. There is. There's one word that keeps coming back to my mind through it all, when I hear you know people like Bernie Sanders talking about or de- demonizing wealth, millionaires and billionaires. Um, for every caller, every texter who's, who who bristles at the idea of the very rich, and I appreciated the call by, by Jake and Oshkosh, I think he he accurately sums up a belief that is growing in the country and held by a lot of people, but I think there's something at the core there. And I'll be honest, I mean, I think it's also something that's inside each and every one of us. When we, when we meet somebody who we know is more wealthy than us, when we watch a debate okay, and see a billionaire Bloomberg and a billionaire Steyer, it's something that goes on in our minds when we're watching professional athletes compete and we hear about contract extensions, sports, moguls, owners, There is something at the root of it all that fuels the mantra that wealth is bad. There's something at the core that fuels the debate, that fuels the the argument that having money is not good. There's a word for that, it's a four letter word. I'll tell you in a moment.
3: This is Jeff Wagner on
1: WTMJ. Four-letter word to sum up our last, our, what did we, did we have that for an hour or so, a little under an hour? Four little letters. E-N-V-Y. Envy. Whether you want to admit it or not, whether I want to admit it or not, in the end, as humans, we envy those who we see as better off than us. We envy the millionaires. Admit it. We envy the billionaires. I can't help but think that if any of us who feel that millionaires and billionaires need to be poo-pooed, need to be demonized, need to have a shadow cast over who they are and how they are and how they got their wealth. Did they earn it? Were they born into it? By the way, if you're born into it, I mean, God bless you, but you didn't have a say in the matter. Why should you be demonized for that? But in the end, we envy that. And if you find yourself in an envious situation, the human reaction is to demonize something in an attempt to bring them down to your perceived level, if you perceive yourself to be lesser than them. It's envy. We envy those who have made it. We envy those who have taken the risk and become multimillionaires and billionaires because either we didn't take a risk or we just haven't found our our lives and ourselves in a position to take the risk. We envy those who've gotten who, who I'm sorry who have been born into wealth because our our uh, our ancestors did not have the wealth for which to be passed down to us. We envy that. Oh, man, those people over there, he was just born into that family. I was born. I didn't have the wealth, but she's got the wealth. That's envy. That's at the root cause of it all. I mean, an envy is something that we as, as, uh, you know, fallible human beings deal with and all different types of things in life. But that's, I firmly believe that that's what it all comes down to is the fact that we live our lives in a way such that when we come across somebody who we think is better off than us, we envy that. And many of you have used the word jealousy as well. There's a little bit more to the word jealousy than envy, but I, I choose the word envy. I admit it. I'm envious. Come on. We're all envious of millionaires and billionaires because you feel, man, I'm working so hard. and They just were just born into it. That's envy, folks, and that I think there, I, even for even for Bernie. Now, Bernie is a millionaire, mind you; he is a millionaire. There's something to the envy in every human being when it comes to that. I appreciate that conversation. That went I'm telling Kyle off the air. That went really well. That the, the topic of wealth and how it's being more and more demonized in America has been wearing at me for a while, and um, I-, I wanted to take this opportunity to bring it to the forefront. Great calls. Excellent texts as well, so thank you for that. i got I got to scrounge up three stories for great Scott as well. Baseball coming up in a little while. It is 1.30. I envy you, Melissa. You do. Your immense wealth.
0: <laughs> You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Continuing on here, <laughs> all kinds of texts. They want to get into this, so let's get into it, shall we? Great Scott! Saturday is uh, Leap Day, February 29th. It's the first time we've had a bonus 24 hours on a Saturday since 1992. Okay, so we got an extra day. How are you celebrating? Are you going to do anything wild and wooly? An extra day to do something crazy? Maybe not. Well, Miller Lite is offering... How about this? Here's something to do. Miller Lite is offering everyone a free case of beer for Leap Day. Hmm. All right. Miller Lite is offering a free 24-pack of beer... Um, off, you know They'll do this type of thing from time to time. Sometimes if it's the team in the city that wins the World Series or the Super Bowl, things like that. Oftentimes you've got to be in the right place at the right time. But uh, Miller Lite is going to make this available to everyone, and they've made it pretty easy to redeem. Listen up, beer lovers. On Saturday, the 29th, Miller Lite is going to post a QR code to its Instagram and Twitter account. All you have to do is scan the code, so you'll have to use a computer or somebody else's phone. The code will take you to a site where you can submit a receipt for a 24 pack of Miller Lite purchased on Leap Day. Then the cost of your case will be refunded to your PayPal account. And, uh, that's it. You actually get a, you're getting a free case of Miller Lite. You don't have to buy anything at all. You just have to front the money. Now you just have to figure out what to do with your free day and your free beer. So again, you pay for it. And then by scanning the code, you are, in essence, reimbursed for your free case of Miller Lite. And then you can just sit there and get blasted as you sit on the couch and celebrate the 29th of February. Great stuff. Menominee Falls Indians is out. The nickname, the mascot, out. And they've narrowed the list of nicknames to four. Those four names chosen by a student committee are Titans, Phoenix, Ravens, and Gold. The Menominee Falls High School Gold. No, I'm kidding. Joke, joke. Marquette people. Falcons, Titans, Phoenix, Ravens, and Falcons. Those are the four nicknames. Uh, one of them is going to win to uh, win the. Uh, Win the spot to take over the Indians. All right. That was uh, Menominee Falls School Board student member Sarah Bauer said during a broadcast of their meeting the other night. So now the students in grades 6 through 11 would vote on the new name, while 3rd through 5th graders would participate in an advisory vote. I like that. The vote will be done online coming up on the 13th of March for students in 6th through 11th grades, while the advisory vote will likely be done by paper ballot. Class officers, with the help of students in the high school's design academy, would put together a video informing students about the nicknames and why they were suggested. They'll also put up posters around the school. They also plan to send students to North Middle School to talk to students, to potential nicknames. They'll send posters to the elementary schools and would consider sending students or a video to elementary schools. This is a campaign. The process started with the group's first meeting back at the end of January, at which students decided on seven nicknames. They narrowed those choices to four on the 18th. The seven nicknames were not released publicly before the recent meeting, revealed the four finalists. Do you know the best part of this entire story? There's not a single mention of adults. This is great. Now, unless I'm misreading this or misunderstanding the process, it appears that while the school board, the adults, voted to eliminate the Indians' nickname, they have left it up to the students to submit, to whittle down, and ultimately vote on the final four. All right. Now, that's that's change I can believe in. Right, All right, we'll get to this. Here we go. People have texted in Monkeys infected with herpes, because the only thing worse than rampaging monkeys are herpes infected rampaging monkeys, in Florida, because that's where everything goes bad in Florida. They're either dealing with alligators or snakes or herpes monkeys, Um, but the number is going to multiply out of control with attacks of humans expected to rise. There's a certain type of monkey that I can't pronounce, and they're on the rampage on the banks of the Silver River in Florida, constantly breeding and expanding their range. Scientists have said as their population expands, they're going to continue to come come into contact with more humans, leading to more scratches, bites, and potentially fatal infections. And the number of monkeys is going to double within the next two years. That could mean, brace yourselves, Floridians, four Hundred monkeys sprawling the riverbanks unless action is taken to fight back. It's new research that has been put out by a professor at the University of Florida. And as the population explodes of of this monkey uh, uh, species, it's believed that a quarter of them, 25%, are carrying the herpes B virus. The professor explaining the chance on a monkey infecting humans are slim, but it is not zero. It's believed 21 people have been killed by herpes passed to them from monkeys in the past century. And the last known fatal infection was in 1997. According to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, unless there's some management action by the state to curtail their numbers, it's going to create a situation where they will be forced to take more drastic action due to a serious incident. Wow, just when the CDC thought... Look, we got our hands full with the coronavirus. Now the CDC's got to deal with herpes-infected monkeys rampaging through Florida, threatening the health and, in some cases, the life of Floridians. My goodness. Do not envy the folks at the CDC. That, friends, is a Wednesday edition of Great
0: Scott. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Brewers
1: spring training baseball comes up in just a few minutes. So stay tuned for that. It's a dry heat this time of year. What? Scottsdale. Um, Probably we'll get into this more tomorrow. I still cannot get anxious, nervous, obsessed with trying to think of other words about the coronavirus. I can't. And I realize that it is spreading. And it's hitting other nations. I, I read earlier that the only, well, right now, the only continent without a case of coronavirus is our Antarctica. Every other continent has at least a case, usually plenty more, of coronavirus. President's going to speak tonight, uh, or this afternoon at five o'clock our time. I think uh, Wisconsin's afternoon news is going to dip into some of that. He's supposed to give a news conference with members of the, talking about the uh, CDC, uh, President and CDC are going to be giving a news conference later this afternoon. I don't know. Maybe he'll say something. Maybe the, 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 the scientists, the people who are so much smarter than I am, will say something that's going to put me into a panic. But I still just can't get jazzed for it. I, I'm not nervous. Are you? Is this moving the needle at all for you, Kyle?
3: Not really. But the 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 guy that um, that was making the announcement from the CDC was basically saying that it's not airtight here in the U.S., but it's near airtight and um, for them to come back a day or two later for an actual press conference about it, I don't think they're going to be re- reiterating the same thing. No, I,
1: I, I, you know what? I would like. I just want some straight talk. Just tell me how how concerned are you, scientists, experts, that this is going to be coming to Milwaukee, Wisconsin? What, what are the odds? What are the signs? What are the, just just give Americans just just give us the facts and, and tell us how we can you know try to buffer ourselves against it as best you can buffer yourself against anything like this.
3: Yeah, and the CDC was coming out and saying, you know, prepare in the future. You might be, you know, very disrupted. By this, uh, by like your your work schedule or stuff like this, schools. And, yeah, and I think and I think that's largely it. I think it's going to be a lot of schools and a lot of like daycare situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is going to be a much larger issue for say parents than single mm-hmm. individuals.
1: Well, parents, and when I discussed this last time. Look, a lot of you who have students overseas or your son or daughter are studying overseas, spending a a semester in -in fill-in-the-blank country. There I definitely understand, but I've said that from the beginning. It impacts people differently based on... Your circle of friends and family, if you have connections to foreign countries, certainly if you have connections to China or places in Asia, you're going to be more on guard than you are if you don't have any. And I don't have any. And so maybe that's at at, at the root cause of it. I would also say this here in America for all the talk demonization theme today for all the demonization of our healthcare system. We still have the best healthcare in America in terms of the quality of care. I mean, it's second to none. And so in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking, well, here in America, the doctors, the physicians, the nurses, the 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 medical care providers, the medicine that we have available to us here are at such a level that a lot of these nations that are just being destroyed is a strong word, but nations that are being plagued, as it were, with this, they don't have. And so people have compromised immune systems to begin with.
3: Yeah, definitely something that needs to be uh, reminded to people that we have a great healthcare system mm-hmm. and we have doctors that can take care of the situation. But um, the thing that I always think about was people on that cruise line. They are still there. They are in their rooms. Well, like, they, just like, they, we took the Americans off. Right. But, but there are still uh, what Japanese, right? Yeah, be that as it may, there's still people just like in tiny, oh. tiny rooms. And you can come out for, what is it, like a half hour a day? Oh and and i mean you're being like you you they watch you just go out and like look at the sea all right go back inside for the 23 and a half hours mm-hmm. it is it is still
1: but it's definitely it's it's in my mind more so maybe it's moved the needle in that respect you know when it got in my mind more When the markets dropped a 1,000 points the other day, that's when it really got into my mind. We'll we'll tee this up tomorrow. Um, I'm in for Jeff the rest of the week. So tomorrow and Friday, uh, Jeff is on vacation. So we'll have a little bit longer show, and we can dive into it. I'd love to, as I've done I think twice now over the last month, three and a half, four weeks, I've just asked, where are you on the freak-out scale of a one-to-five freak-out of the coronavirus? Maybe you have to do that again tomorrow, because it's been a couple of weeks, and certainly the the storyline is still there. It's still very much in the news, and... I just I wonder how many people if they are freaking out are freaking out more so because of what's happening to their four oh one Ks and their IRAs and their stock uh, you know values and things like that. So we'll do that tomorrow as well. Um a lot of good stuff that we will uh get to. We have to find some Friday frivolity. Friday, two thirty, normally pop culture corner. I cede that to Jeff, and when I'm here, we just like to have some Friday frivolity. You can email in, too, if you, or text in suggestions as well. All that to come. Stick with me tomorrow and Friday. Up next, Brewers baseball right here. Let's head to the desert on WTMJ.
0: Hit the road, Scott. Don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Hit the road, Scott. And don't you come back no
2: more.